The Shakespeare Society and PlayShakespeare.com presents Shakespeare Talks. Shakespeare Talks. So I'm here with Nicholas Barter, uh, who uh, is directing the Shanghai Theatre Academy's uh, production of Taming of the Shrew. And I was wondering uh, how you became involved in the project. Well, I first came to STA in uh, four years ago, four years ago, because while I was still um, principal of RADA, um, the uh, ITI UNESCO Center in Romania set up something called the World Consortium of Drama Schools. And uh, they asked all the drama schools in the world to vote for who they thought ought to be members. And Rana was one of the people that was voted for, by, and along with Yale and NIDA in Sydney and um, some of the other better-known drama schools and SDA and Central Academy in Beijing, obviously. And uh, so they invited me to go and do a workshop at a congress of drama schools in Sinaya in Romania. And William Sun, who's the vice president here, happened to be the representative from STA who was there. And he saw my workshop. I did the morning and uh, somebody from Yale did the afternoon. And then afterwards he said, look, I'm really interested in the work that you're doing. Would you like to come and do some work at uh, Shanghai Theatre Academy? To which I said yes. So they invited me to come and work with the directing, uh, with the acting students. And I did a production of Major Barbara by Bernard Shaw which I believe was the first Shaw production here since before the revolution, since before 1949. Um, and we did that in the, in the new space, in the bigger studio, with the graduating acting class of that year. And then I've come back every year since then, either to work with, do some workshops with the directing department, or work with the social performance students, because William was very interested in some of the status work that I do she thinks is relevant to what's going on in China socially. Um, and then I think Professor Liu, who runs the, the directing department, had seen Major Barbara and then said, you must please come and do a Shakespeare with our students. So that's how I came to be. These were directing students I was working right. with. They're not acting right. students, actually. Yes. But part of their training is that they have to act. <laughs> so that's how it all came about. Um, are you... Uh, currently, or are you still based in London now, or do you? No, I'm freelance. freelance. I, I'm I'm completely freelance. I left I left RADA after uh, I was there for nearly 15 years. 14 of them as no no uh, nearly 20 years, uh, but uh, 14 of them as principal, um, and returned to being a freelance director. So I'm a guest professor at Toho Gakuen College in Tokyo. I teach at the Joko Acting School in Tokyo every year. I run my own workshop in Tokyo for professional actors every summer, uh, which I've been doing for 20 years. And uh, now STA and other places in China, I kind of come and do a workshop every so often. So I seem to work mainly in the Far East. Mm. Um, what are the particular challenges of working in Chinese or working bilingually? Well, the challenge for me working in China is that I'm not a Putonghua speaker. And when I try, they don't understand me because I don't have the right tones. <laughs> you, get, you get a lot of credit in Japan because I can kind of get by, you know, with kindergarten Japanese and people do understand me. And also I can hear my, my actors in Japan. Um, 
But here it's, it's a much bigger challenge and I'm much more reliant on my interpreter. Mm -hmm. But obviously, if you're doing any play, you learn the key, the key words, the trigger words in a sentence. The, the storyline is carried by certain textual uh, emphases. And I just have to learn those. Uh, and, uh, you know, one that keeps cropping up in Taming the Shrew is Fuchin, father, you know. So you kind of say, oh, didn't hear Fuchin, where is it, you know. So it's actually quite good working in a foreign language because your ear has to be much sharper. You don't take it for granted. And also it's a way of making the actors investigate the text more deeply because Got, they have to make it clear to someone who actually doesn't speak the language but does understand the sense of the, the scene or what the character's objective is. So how does that um, play out practically in the rehearsal process? Or what, what is the rehearsal process like? Well, I always start with a short, depends on how much time I've got, but I always start with a short workshop because these are students I've never met before when I walk into the rehearsal room for the first day. And so I have to think about how I'm going to cast them. Um, so I, I guess I did a, very nearly a week of exercises, games, but they were all games and exercises that have relevance to the plot, to the uh, relationships in the play. So I take a repertoire and kind of put it together each time slightly differently. Um, so these were all uh, exercises that were relevant to what happens in Taming of the Shrew. Um, as you probably realized, I, you know, we decided, or I decided, that I wanted the sly scenes to be contemporary. Um, and I thought it'd be quite fun to wrong-foot the audience by starting with Chinese opera, which was the last thing they were expecting. Um, and I'm delighted to say that we've had, on all three performances we've done so far, there's always been somebody in the audience who thinks it's really happening. Which, and the first, the first preview, a guy, we found out later, he works in a bank. He actually jumped out of his seat and came on stage to help the actors. Right, so, so in, the, yeah. in, the, in the performance, um, Sly comes on and... And disrupts, and disrupts uh, the, 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 the Chinese opera. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's done in such a way as to um, make the audience think that this yes. is an actual just drunk person. That's right. And then why, why do we do, why do the comp that company of actors decide to do Taming of the Shrew rather than the Chinese opera that they were going to do? Mm -hmm. um, and there we've kind of actually changed the, the sly scenes because in the, obviously in the original, whether we're talking about a shrew or the shrew, one of the two originals, Sly is made a fool of by the by the lord and the other people who dress him up and make him think that he's, he's living like a lord. Uh, but we decided, and that was something we kind of collectively decided, led by me, that maybe it would be more interesting if he was abusive towards his wife, was going to go home and beat her up. And they said, look, we've got this play in our repertoire, why don't we do it? But there I really am at a loss because it's all improvised and I'm having to say to my interpreter, did they say this, did they say this, did they say this? Have they found the milestones that lead them to doing uh, Taming of the Shrew? Mm -hmm. um, why, why did you choose uh, Shrew as Good a... question. Um, Professor Liu, who runs the directing department, gave me a repertoire of four plays to choose from. Um, one of them I've just done in Japan and toured in Europe, and I really didn't want to do it again immediately. It's a play I know very well. Uh, one is a play I've directed and workshopped endlessly, Twelfth Night, mm -hmm. so I wasn't mm -hmm. terribly keen on going back to that. 
The third was uh, Merry Wives of Windsor, which I'm not a great fan of. I don't think it's his best. And I had no idea if I'd got a full staff. I thought it was highly unlikely yeah, yeah. In, a, in a troupe of young directors that I wouldn't have a full staff. Because um, that's a huge challenge for a young actor, quite apart from the physicality of the part. Um, and the other was Shrew, which I've been in years and years and years ago. But I was in Trevor Nunn's very first production of Taming of the Shrew <laughs> as a student. He was a student and I was a student. Um, and it's a play that, that interests me because of all its gender challenges and is it possible to do it in a slightly different, with a different slant. Were you in London in 2003? No, I was not. Ah, you wouldn't have seen the Greg Doran. Greg Doran did a wonderful revival of it for the Royal Shakespeare Company, um, which I thought was terrific. Um, and I wanted to kind of develop a little bit some of the ideas that he'd thrown up in, in doing the play, about whether it's not just about you know beating the woman down, it's about what the woman does for the man as well. Mm. You know. Um, can you elaborate a bit on that um, and kind of your conception of um, of Kate and and especially kind of her her ending speech? And well, the, what you were getting across. The Kate Kate is a woman who who's who's unhappy largely because no mother or no mothers in Shakespeare as we know. Um, her father clearly prefers Bianca and is very tough on her as the elder sister, and she's got into a kind of habit of being resentful which she can't kick. She's kind of psychologically damaged by that relationship with her father. Um, and then everybody, you know, it's like Genet's thing, you know, call me a thief and I'll, and I'll steal. Um, that actually everybody keeps keep saying, oh yeah, but you're so horrible, but you're so tough, but you're so dangerous. And she thinks, all right, well, if that's what you think I am, that's what I'll be. So it's projection. Um, Petruccio, his father's died. He doesn't know what to do. He's lost without his dad, obviously. Um, he's a kind of uh, a rebellious teenager. He's never grown up. And he comes fortune hunting for a wife, which he needs, because he hasn't got enough cash. And uh, they see each other, and there's an immediate kind of violent attraction. But they have no idea how to relate to each other, really. All what they do see is my God, she's as fast and intelligent as I am. Oh my God, he's as quick as I am. At last there's a man who isn't afraid of me and who will actually play games with me. But they can't take it beyond that point and the social convention is rushing her into the marriage so that Bianca could be married to the best of the two alternative suitors to her hand. Um, and then it, it really doesn't happen until the... Till the the end of the Taylor scene, when she's been denied the dress, and he says, look, is this really what's important to you? You know, the, the nightingale sings as sweetly as the jay, even though his feathers are not as beautiful. You know, let's let what you get, it's who you really are inside. Then in the sun and moon scene, which they, they're getting it, but they haven't quite got it to my satisfaction. She says, you mean it can be anything we choose? And he says, yeah, yeah, just imagine. It can be anything we choose. So he, she's, she's teaching him to love, and he's teaching her to open up her imagination mm -hmm. to the possibilities 
that life could be happy, that you can imagine anything to be anything you want it to be, if you release, and she hasn't ever released. Mm. So that's kind of where we've been trying to go to. And finally, yes, they really fall in love at a, at a, at a different level. But it's quite a tall order for actors who aren't <laughs> actors and directors. Right. But they all, they, I must say, they're very sweet. They all embrace the idea very readily. And I thought it was particularly interesting to do it in China, where the gender relationships between men and women are changing so quickly. Yes. You know, the society is changing so fast. Um, and, you know, having a, a fairly mature interpreter, which is useful, she graduated from the directing department 15 years ago. She's a professional television director who's come back to do a PhD. Um, and so we've talked a lot about her perception of women and post-feminism in, in, you know, after the kind of false equality of the Cultural Revolution. Um, so we've been trying to kind of explore that right. as, as best we can, though the actor's lack of, perhaps lack of skills, lack of subtlety, uh, made it a tall order. But it was fun to do. Mm -hmm. Um, moving to a kind of more general question, um, how do you see or not um, Shakespeare as, as relevant to a Chinese audience or to a, a more global audience? Well, I'm only finding that out because I've never done Shakespeare in China before uh, by the reactions of the audience to the play. Um, and at a kind of simple level, they clearly like it. They, they clearly think it's funny. And I was very, well, the thing that what pleased me most of all last night was the applause when Petruccio kneels to Catherine. And I thought, oh, yeah, no, they, they actually have engaged with this relationship. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was a very moving moment. You could kind of feel yeah, the audience really yeah, connect so they with felt that. The audience really were, because, you know, the other characters in the play react when Catherine's prepared to kneel. And then when he stops her kneeling, says, no, you don't have to kneel to me. And then he kneels to her. And I was, it was lovely that the audience reacted in the way that they did. I was thrilled. Um, I think Shakespeare's always relevant. There's always something in his play. Because he was challenging, you know, the Tamer Tamed, which came afterward, Fletcher's play, you know, clearly uh, says, no, actually, William, you didn't go quite far enough with this. <laughs> it's a little bit too within the, the horrific relationship between truths and, and society in Elizabethan England. I mean, the things they did to them, were, you know, beat them up and then wrapped them in salted cowhide, yes. you know. Yes. It was torture, or put a bridle in their mouths. Um, so, in a sense, I really think that if you approach Shakespeare afresh, if you don't take the received idea of the plays, you know, because we all know the plays, we've seen them many times, we've read them, etc., etc. If, if you look at it like, you know, what is this play? Who are these people? Afresh, and look at it from a 2011 perspective, there's always something new to find. Because his imagination was so huge, um, it's always a challenge to, to try and match his imagination. And even early journeyman Shakespeare, you know, very kind of comedia-influenced Shakespeare, um, I think it's always relevant. Um, I'm interested in the, the state of acting um, and the stage in, in China today. Um, so you, you mentioned you, um, you were principal of RADA from um, 
1993 to 2007. Yeah. Yes. Um, so in working with the Shanghai Theatre Academy, um, how do you see the state of acting and, and theatre education in, in China, or what insight has it given you? Well, I'm not an expert. I mean, I, mean, uh, I think the, diffi the difficulty actually with probably the, it's similar to a certain extent in Japan, but not quite so much, is that the in an unbroken theatre tradition where you've got opera, you know, Peking opera, Shanghai opera, UA opera, all these forms, which are very, very strong, and, you know, the students are exposed to them all the time, and you've got traditional opera courses going on in the school, that still hangs very heavy on, on, the, on the training. So that, uh, did you see the uh, Cherry Orchard, the directing students' graduating performance? So much of it was played out front. So there's a sort of lip service paid to Stanislavski or Grotowski or whoever they want to, you know, teach because these are, or Boral, you know, these are the, the kind of key figures academically. But they don't really, I don't think, absorb them so that it doesn't affect the training as deeply as I think it should. Um, when I say it should, if you're going to do European plays, mm -hmm. clearly, I, I mean, I don't know the state of contemporary writing right. in China. You would know better than I do, because I can't pick up the plays and read them. So I don't know what's being written or whether it's being written in a tradition. I know that uh, some of the contemporary theatre that uh, I see in Japan is still being written very much within a tradition which is influenced by Kabuki mm -hmm. or, or, or no, no. Um, and uh, the kind of performance style even with you know very young underground prof professional work you see um, symbols of behavior symbols of reaction mm -hmm. which come straight from an old <coughs> theater form you know, people will still kind of sit down with a bump in Japanese theatre to express surprise or shock, you know. I've, I've, I've been talking to these students a lot about the kind of Stanislavski idea of playing against the obstacle, not demonstrating the obstacle all the time. Um, and they find that quite hard to absorb. It's clearly something that's quite new to them. It's not something they're being taught. Um, on the other hand, Chinese actors are very emotionally available, which is great, unlike Japanese actors, you really have to open them up. Um, and they're hopelessly and ill-disciplined, unlike Japanese actors who are very disciplined. <laughs> I mean, and, and they wouldn't mind me saying that, because I, you know, I have to become something of a sergeant major when I'm directing them. Because they don't, they don't I, I mean, all sorts of reasons that would have given to me and I've worked out for myself. I mean, the single parent family, the fact that there's a, you know, a single child family mm -hmm. where there's, you know, all the kind of love and attention is being poured into one person who, who feels they can do anything they like, you know. Uh, the prevalence of materialism, of sitting there with their Game Boys when I'm saying, put that down and watch what's happening on stage, you know, <laughs> all of that. Great. Uh, which we now... I'm happy to say they now laugh about. They now find my obsession with this quite funny and realize that it is an advantage. It was one of the reasons why I set up the play, partly because of the black boxes, so 
kind of inadequately provided as a conventional theatre. Mm-hmm. I said, well, let's make a virtue of this, make it more like a kind of open stage Elizabethan experience. It's indeed, but so many people packing in last night, it rather was. Yes, no, it was, it was full, it was almost turned away. <laughs> yeah, well, it was fun, actually, because it, it, you know, with audience virtually in the wings as well as on the stage and <laughs> looking above up from above and everything. Yeah, I thought it was a good atmosphere of, of, of the Elizabethan yes. theatre. But why we decided, look, the, let's do this as a theatre company, putting on this play for Sly, for a reason. Um, and therefore you're all feeding into the theatre experience. You know, you are, when you're not on in the, in the scene, you're watching the scene. You know, you're, you're encouraging, you're respect for your colleagues' work. Um, I think, I've said this so many times, I think one of the problems in SDA is that they don't have a stage management course. And I think this is a real drawback because they're reliant on stage management staff who are very mature, been here a very long time, would like a, a quiet life, as indeed in most drama schools in my experience, the stage management staff would like a quiet life. Um, so the idea that there's a kind of enthusiasm coming to support the acting isn't really there. And there aren't stage management students who are learning a complementary discipline which helps the acting students to realize what collectively goes into make theater. And it's a real drawback. I mean, the, these students, directing students, I've had to teach them stage management as well as acting, as well as why am I doing this because I'm helping them as directors. Um, and I think this lack of stage management course is really undermining the artistic standards in STA. They could be so much better if they had a stage management course. Well, one final question, a bit uh, facetious. Um, so it's the afterlife, and unfortunately, the deities are displeased, and they sentence you to serve purgatory in a Shakespeare play. That play is <laughs> fill in the blank. <laughs> I guess, well, I guess I've said it might be very wise of Windsor. No. Um, oh, what an extraordinary question. Purgatory in a Shakespeare play. Well, I think it might be Mary Wilde. But you see, I probably, as soon as I start to work on it, I would probably find things in it that absolutely fascinate me and excite me. Right. And I would want to do the play. Um, I can't, yeah. Because I was going to say, well, how, 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 how depressing would it be to be locked into King Lear for the rest of your life? And well, but you wouldn't be, because it's, it's the greatest play. It's just the biggest challenge. Um, I guess that folds into my next question. Um, purgatory complete, um, Shakespearean heaven turns out to be fill in the blank. Oh, Shakespearean heaven turns out to be any Shakespearean comedy, but probably as you like it. Hmm. Because that's where my theatre going Shakespeare life started. Um, I've played Jokewiz, I've directed it, I've workshopped it. I just think it's the most glorious play. Absolutely love it. But maybe it's because of the first Shakespeare play I was ever taken to when I was six years old. So, Well, um, thank you very much. You're welcome. You've been listening to Shakespeare Talks, brought to you by the Shakespeare Society and PlayShakespeare.com.
Shakespeare Talk.